The social change culture wants to influence children's attitudes and beliefs away from family values and Christ. But first, they have to diminish and eliminate the voice of the parent. So how do we respond to a culture that wants to destroy family? We strengthen the very institution that they're afraid of, the family. Welcome to the Monica Klein Show on the Edify Podcast Network, and I am your host, Monica Leal Klein. Welcome back, guys. Thank you for listening to the show on a weekly basis. And today's show is is a special show. I have Abby Johnson with me, and it's actually a pre-recorded show talking about the heartbeat bill here in Texas. And, and if you don't know much about Abby, I think most people know who she is, and especially if you're in the pro-life movement. For, for those of you who may not be as familiar, Abby Johnson is a former Planned Parenthood director, uh, clinic director, and she had a dramatic conversion when she witnessed an abortion through ultrasound and saw the baby in the womb fighting against the instruments that were attempting to take its life, and, and, it, and it did take its life. Uh, and on that day, she left Planned Parenthood and never turned back and blew the whistle on the abortion industry on Planned Parenthood and has committed her life to not only, uh, you know, speaking truth to save preborn children, but also to get abortion workers out of the abortion industry. And you can learn more about that ministry at abortionworker.com. Her ministry is called And Then There Were None. Uh, but, you know, Abby was a big part of um, really promoting and supporting the Texas heartbeat bill, which has become incredibly controversial around the country. And just recently, um, we we actually have Judge Pittman, a U.S. Judge Pittman, who decided to block the heartbeat act in Texas calling it unconstitutional. It's a temporary block. Um, then we hear the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland issuing a statement supporting this restraining order by Pittman, uh, basically saying that, you know, we're going against the constitutional rights of, of women, um, that this is creating an offensive deprivation of such an important right. Of course, they're talking about the right to abortion, the right to be able to kill innocent and vulnerable children, uh, preborn children in the womb. And, uh, and that's not surprising that our attorney general, U.S. Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland, is has this position. Um, he also came out just a few weeks ago, I, I, or actually last week, when I did a podcast about Merrick Garland approving the fact that he and the Biden administration believe that parents are domestic terrorists because they are standing up to school boards across the nation trying to protect their children from being mandated into being vaccinated or wearing masks or or learning critical race theory. And so we're seeing that the Biden administration is really anti-family and anti-freedom. And so it's not surprising to see the U.S. Attorney General supporting Judge Robert Pittman in, in this decision to temporarily um, stop the Texas Heartbeat Act. Um, but, you know, uh, Texas Right to Life made a point saying that, hey, even though there is a temporary stop on this, it is temporary. Anyone who still aids and abets in an abortion in Texas can still um, have a, a ruling uh, pressed against them during this temporary time. So really, we're still seeing that abortions are not happening in Texas. But in this podcast with Abby, we're talking about the Heartbeat Act and and what you know and her her thoughts about it and and, and what is so helpful about the Heartbeat Act in Texas. What's so important about it, knowing that it is a very unique law. 
um, created very differently in the state of Texas, so much so that even Florida is using some of its language to create a similar bill in their own state. So um, settle in with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and listen in to my interview with Abby Johnson. Well, um, Abby, so I was supposed to have you on a few weeks ago before Heartbeat Bill, but I was going to have, I was going to ask you about Heartbeat Bill. And now we're, we're, you know, after it's now a, a law and so much is happening. I f- almost feel like I need to start doing the podcast daily because so much is happening. Uh, I'm sure you heard that we're being sued by the Justice Department. Uh, mm-hmm. Texas is being sued over the heartbeat bill. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you think Do you think anything's going to come of that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just a lot of uh, political posturing. Biden's approval rating is down to 39% right now. Um, yep. he, you know, handled the Afghanistan crisis so poorly. Uh, he just did such an abysmal job there. And so I think this is just, uh, just posturing. Honestly, he's trying to do something for his, his liberal pro-choice base to say, okay, guys, I'm, I'm really going to throw you a bone here. I really am, you know, I really am going to do something to try to make people happy. Um, but in the end, I mean, I just don't really think there's a lot that people can do. I mean, I don't really think there's a lot that DOJ can do. There's already been 26 governors who have stepped up and said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, you know, uh, as far as far as the vaccine mandate, there's Governor Abbott's already said, look, we're not going to I mean, he's trying to do a lot right now to to sort of prop himself up as this like big dictator. But governors are standing up. The people are standing up. They're saying we're not you know, we're not going to take this. We're, we're not going to put up with you. And so, you know, just like I think this this vaccine mandate that he just just came down with is not going to go anywhere. Um, I don't think this DOJ case is going to go anywhere either. Plus, where would it go? I mean, it would it would essentially we don't even know where the case would really go. I mean, it might go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has already stayed silent uh, on this issue so far. Uh, There's there's no reason to believe that they would pick up a case like this from the DOJ if it came to them. Um, So uh, there's there's not even a, a, a sure road where this case would go uh, at this point. So it, yeah, it's just, a, it, it's just, it's just an interesting time. Biden is just trying to, to flex all this political power that honestly he just really doesn't have. I mean, and really this is a, this is an issue of states rights, right? And that's what our country was founded on. Our country was founded on states rights. It was not founded on federal government's rights. And, you know, Texas has decided that, this is our right. This is what we want. This is what the people of Texas want. And Texas has always had a vested interest in protecting the unborn. The Texas Constitution, um, back from the beginning, protected the rights of the unborn. It wasn't until Roe in 1973 that the Texas Constitution essentially was thrown out and the will of, of you know, the Texas people was subverted because of, of Roe. But, you know, even on the books today, the Texas Constitution still protects the unborn. And and then we just saw in this legislative session, the you know Human Life Protection Act was passed again, uh, reaffirming that uh, this is what Texans want. When Roe is overturned, there will immediately be a trigger ban put into place 
and abortion will not be allowed, that that unborn human life will be protected from the moment of conception. You know, right now we have the heartbeat bill in place. When a heartbeat is detected, life is protected. This is what Texans want, period. period. And so for for the for the government to for the federal government to come in and say, well, we don't care about what you want, state of Texas. Uh, this is what the federal government wants. Uh, it's just not the way that government was founded. It's just not what government is supposed to be in the business of doing. And it's not the it's not what the Americans want. It's not what we're established to do. We're established, like you said, to have the states have power within their own states to make decisions for their own citizens. You know, that also reminds me of, um, you know, I was pressed by one of the state school board members in Texas about the high pregnancy rates in Texas, uh, unplanned pregnancy and among teenagers. And I think he was trying to put me in a corner as to this is why we need comprehensive sex education in the schools. And so, you know, he was kind of really like, well, what are your thoughts on this, you know, high incidence of, of teen pregnancy rates in Texas? And so I pointed out to him, it, comparing, so when we're talking, it made me think of this because you were talking about Texas and what we want in Texas and that we're a very pro-life state. And so I really uh, said, you know, you need to look at Guttmacher's uh, data, which is a research arm of Planned Parenthood. And in their data, if you were to compare uh, the number of abortions uh, being conducted in uh, in pregnancy, teen pregnancy rates and teen birth rates, and compare that with Texas and New York State. Um, and so I said, when you look at that data, you're going to see that the teen birth rates, or the, I'm sorry, the teen pregnancy rates are 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 not that different between Texas and uh, and New York. They're very similar. But then when you look at teen pregnancy, uh, the birth rate when they actually have a child, then you see a, a huge disparity. So you see that Texas is having a lot more teen births and New York is having very few. But why is that happening? And the answer is abortion. So it's not that, for example, they were wanting to push comprehensive sex education in Texas. So so it's not the education. It's not the sex education that's actually stopping or reducing pregnancy because New York has that. New York is giving out birth control pills. New York is giving out condoms. New York is doing lots of graphic sex education. Teenagers are still getting pregnant. But in New York, it has become the norm for them to abort their children. I said, so in Texas, what we're what you're seeing here is that we are a pro-life state. We love our babies and we're having our babies. And there is nothing wrong with that. And so families are coming alongside their teens to help them. And there's so many resources out there to help families. And I know that you have founded one of those organizations, like is it Loveline. So when people are needing help and wanting to find out what resources that they that they might need and get assistance in an unplanned pregnancy, they can call Loveline and get that and get connected with a pregnancy resource center or get connected with with whatever resources they're needing at the time. Uh, what have you seen in Loveline after the heartbeat bill? Yeah, so we had just <laughs> this past week, we had 61 new client intakes, which is crazy. I mean, we usually have 10 to 15 in a week. So it's 61 new client intakes. I mean, we're not resource poor in the state of Texas uh, at all. I mean, we've got a lot of pregnancy centers. We have uh, a lot of resources available to women. We have childcare subsidy programs. We have, you know, uh, that pay for daycare. We have, we have a lot of resources in Texas, right? But 
Uh, and, and pregnancy centers are fantastic. I mean, I love pregnancy centers. I, I speak for them all over the country. Like I, I love them, right? I'm a huge advocate for pregnancy centers. 75% of women who are looking to have abortions, uh, they're having them for financial reasons. They're, they're in financial distress. So they're not having abortions because they're thinking seven months down the road, oh man, how am I going to pay for diapers? Right. That's that's not why they're having abortions. They're having abortions because they're in financial distress right now. They can't pay their rent. They're about to be evicted. Their lights are about to be shut off in their home. Their car's about to be repossessed. They don't have insurance coverage. They're worried about daycare for their other kids. They, you know, they're worried about those immediate crises in their life. So they're not worried about onesies right? For their babies. They're not worried about material needs at that time. They're worried about how to put food on the table for the other kids that they have in their home. 60% of women who have abortions already have other children in the home. So, um, and that's something that pregnancy centers generally are not equipped to handle. And, and so that's what Loveline does. Um, that's exactly what we do. So we actually provide a case management model of care. So we are paying rent for women. We are getting them out of financial distress. If they have gotten themselves into a financial hole where they're about to be evicted, their home's about to be foreclosed on, um, you know, they they are three months behind on rent. Uh, we get them caught up on their rent. If their utility bill is past due and their utility is about to get shut off, we get them caught up. We have bought a car for a woman because literally a woman called us and said, I uh, am going to have an abortion because... I already have three children in car seats. My car only fits three car seats and I'm pregnant with a fourth and I don't have room. I, I don't have room in my car. Uh, and, and we look at that and go, how ridiculous, right? A woman having an abortion because she didn't have room in her car. But I mean, for her, it wasn't ridiculous, right? She has to get to work every day. And how is she going to tote around another baby if she can't fit that baby in her car? right? How is she going to get her other kids to daycare? I mean, what is she going to do? And so, and, and for her, like, and, and so we, we just said to her like, okay, so if we traded in your car and we bought you a minivan, right. Or, or something that a car that could fit four car seats, would you not have the abortion? And she was like, oh yeah. But I mean, nobody's going to buy me a car. And we were like, oh, yeah, we will. I mean, that's no big deal. To her, a woman who's in crisis with three small children, one on the way, the, the, the idea of her taking her car in, trading it in, getting a new car, you know, she, she didn't have great credit. You know, she doesn't have extra money on hand. That is an insurmountable feat for her, right? But for us, it literally took eight hours for us to figure that out for her. It was no problem. And now she has a six-month-old baby that she did not abort. It, it, was, it was so easy for us. I literally went on my Facebook page and I'm like, look, we got a mom. This is what we need. We need to buy her a car. We need an extra $4,000. We raised $4,000 in less than an hour. I mean, it was nothing. But to her, that was something she could not even comprehend.
So, I mean, this is what we've got to do as pro-lifers. Like if we really want to advocate for these sorts of laws to be enacted in states, then we have to step up and provide the resources. You know, um, we have women who need housing. We have women who need free housing. We have women who, you know, we have a, a great child care subsidy program here in Texas, but it's sort of a catch-22 because you have to be working to receive low or no cost daycare services. Well, it's hard to find a job. Uh, it's hard to go look for a job when you have a kid in tow, right? And so a lot of these women are unemployed. They're looking for work, but they have their kid with them all the time. And they're single moms and they don't have help. They're very unsupported. And so we're, they're like, I need daycare for like two weeks, so I can go out and get a job, right? But they don't have $500 for two weeks of daycare, right? And so we're like, fine, we'll pay for a month of daycare so you can go get a job, right? And then you can apply for CCMS. And then, you know, but it takes like a couple months for you to get approved. And and so it, it's like a catch-22 for them, right? So we're like, we'll pay for daycare, until you get approved for CCMS. So it's like though it's those things that women need help with so that they can really get on their feet. It's not giving them a handout. It really is giving them a hand up. And we don't want these women dependent on social services for the rest of their lives. So we do get them into financial coaching. Um, we have Dave Ramsey financial coaches that work with them. We have, you know, professional case managers that work with them. Um, we want to empower them to, to uh, really get on their feet and to make better choices and to show them that if they are single moms, they can be successful single moms to their children. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing. And, but it, it really is time for the pro-life movement to, to put up, right? Because this is what we've yeah. been wanting. This is what we've been calling for. And so now we have to step up in that resource gap. Absolutely. You know, th these are the practical things that we, that as a community, we would normally be able to get from one another when we used to live in more tight knit communities. And, you know, when I was a single mom, I was alone in Austin. I, I didn't have people who could help me. Uh, my mom was poor in Brownsville. She had no ability to really help me as much as she'd like to. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I ended up figuring it out on my own. I was making 25 a year when I got pregnant. I quickly decided oh, I need to obviously get another job. Um, but I was not uh, and I did have an appointment to abort my son. Uh, and I ended up changing my mind through a friend who humanized the life of my son. And, and I canceled that appointment. But the first thing that I needed was to find out what are the steps that I need? I actually just needed counsel. I, I didn't need onesies, like you said. I didn't need to watch. Uh, and I do love PRCs. But, uh, but, but the truth is, is that I knew what it, I know what it's like to be a single mom, knowing that you're going to be alone with this baby. And the things that you, your immediate needs are not necessarily the needs that I think I would have gotten through a PRC. Um, I didn't need a crib. I didn't need some of those things. I, I didn't need to watch videos by myself about mm -hmm. my pregnancy. Um, I could get that through my doctor, uh, but I needed to know that I was going to have an income 
I needed to know what kind of insurance I need. I was needing to have so that when I was looking for a new job, I could get the appropriate insurance. You know, I needed some counsel. I just needed some, a little bit of help to figure that out. And once I got that, um, I was able to feel confident that I could do this. And I would, you know, so, and yeah, needing a car. I mean, I was a single mom needing a car at some point, you know, and and, and it was, it makes a huge difference. I mean, you needed accompaniment. And, and that's what, that's what most women need. They just, they need accompaniment on this journey. Right. I mean, when I had grace, my first child, I mean, I just needed accompaniment. I didn't have that. I worked in an abortion clinic. So, I mean, I had people every day telling me my coworkers telling me that I should just have an abortion. And I think that lack of accompaniment led to me having very serious postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis because I did feel very unsupported in my pregnancy. And so, you know, it was, it it was, you know, difficult. It's difficult to feel unsupported. And so women, we're not meant to do this alone. We are not meant to live life so alone and isolated. We are meant to live life in community with one another. Mm. And so that's what we're trying to give to women is we're trying to accompany people. Pope Francis talks about the gospel of accompaniment. And and that's really what Christ did uh, with people. Mm -hmm. He accompanied them on their journey. And, and that's what we're trying to do with the women and men who contact us. We've had single dads contact us and they need accompaniment too. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, we're just trying to live life with people to get in their life. Right. And to say, what do you need? And, and it, sometimes it gets messy, you know, and that's okay. We're in it for the mess. We're, we're in it no matter how messy it gets. We're in it for the mess because we're in it to do life with them, no matter how hard it gets. And that, and that's what um, Christians need to remember in churches too, that life is messy. Uh, when I was a single mom and a brand new Christian, I'll have to say that there were people in the church that, that did not like my messy life. Uh, and they didn't really want to associate with me because I was messy. I was that girl who was a sex educator, a brand new Christian, a uh, biracial child for some people that was kind of an issue actually. Um, and I had this child out of wedlock. I, yeah. So from the outside, everyone saw me as a, as a big mess. Um, and I didn't have a lot of accompaniment. And so I, I agree with you on that. There's a need for family. Uh, there's a need for a, a created family, a church family, and it gets messy. And, you know, I finally did find a church family who loved me, loved my son, you know, and, and they were older adults, actually, they were, they had uh, either adult children, or they had children who were in high school, my son was still in elementary school. And because they welcomed me into their home Bible study, these different couples, for the first time, I got to see what godly marriages look like and what godly parents look like. And they modeled that for me. And they took me under their wing and allowed me to really be there with their families. And I learned so much from them. And that is what it's ne- what is needed. Loveline is providing a lot of accompaniment, but Loveline can't do it all. And I know you know that. Now, church families, you can, you can fill in more gaps. You can be a church 
church family for that single father, that single mother. And it doesn't mean babysitting. Not once did the, these families ever babysit for me because I never really asked for babysitting and I didn't I didn't really want to. I love being with my son. So that was never an issue for me. But, but the be able to be in their home and through a Bible study and through having friendship and watching them, I did have one of the women, actually, I, I admitted one day saying, I don't even know what a godly marriage looks like. So I, here I am hoping and praying for a godly husband and a godly marriage. And I don't even know what a godly husband looks like. And I don't know what a godly right. wife looks like. And right. so she mentored me for a little while. Um, and so I'm saying this because I want my listeners to, to, to remember, guys, you know, you can be that for other adults, for new Christians. You can be that for that person that all you see is messiness. But the truth is, is, is pray that you can see them with God's eyes and ask God, what do you want me to do? What kind of friendship can I have with this person? How can I help them? Uh, because as single parents, we are horribly isolated horribly isolated. And it is so important. Uh, and we feel a lot of shame and we feel a lot of rejection because we are single parents. Whether some of that is a lie and some of it is true, I don't know. But but the truth is, is that we need a church family to come alongside us or even good neighbors. Some, some of my good friends that were with me all the time were not even, were not actually Christian, but they took me in as well. So we can be there for one another. You know, we're, we're saying that because this is important. You know, Abby, you, you know this more than anyone, that now that we have the heartbeat bill, it is time in our state to step up, but just across the nation as well. We cannot be sleeping about unplanned pregnancy you know, I'm not, when I teach parents about sex education, I'm not guaranteeing that no one's going to have a sex outside of marriage and that no one's going to have an unplanned pregnancy. We need to prepare for the real life. You know, it can get messy. Uh, we make mistakes. Uh, we make decisions that have consequences and we live with those. It doesn't mean that we then choose to kill our child. Uh, because we've made because the timing is wrong or whatever the situation is. And it's time to start changing the language and taking back. Uh, we need to really take back the language and take back life uh, within our families and in our neighborhoods and with our children. But if we're prepared to see the end of Roe, and I know you have talked about this a lot, probably in your own podcast, we need to be prepared as a people and as a church to start being there and with others. And I know Loveline's doing a part of it, but what are, what are some of your thoughts, Abby, on how churches can begin to be there for post-Row, the end of Row? Yeah, yeah. so I mean, churches have got to be part of the solution, right? So, I mean, that's that's really the bottom line. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing is that the people in your congregation need to know that your church is a pro-life church. They need to know that you want to be part of the solution. They need to know that your church is a safe place if they do have a crisis pregnancy. They need to know that your church is a safe place if they have had an abortion and they need to heal. How do they know that? Well, you got to talk about it. Um, our churches are far too silent on the issue of abortion. Our pulpits are silent on the issue of abortion. And so they need to know that Number one, abortion is a sin. Number two, it's not too great of a sin for God to forgive. And that that the church is the place that we talk about abortion, that we talk about redemption, we talk about God's mercy. And, um, and that if you are in a crisis pregnancy, that the church doors are wide open for you that there's no shame, there's no condemnation. And 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 there it, there's not this like, oh, this is such a this is such a great sin. 
right? Um, because we're, we're all sinners. That's why we're in the church, right? So if we, did, if we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need the church at all, right? We wouldn't need Jesus. So, but we've got to start really opening up and having these conversations having these hard conversations from the pulpit, not in small group. Like we've got it. Yeah. In small group too, but like we need to have them from the pulpit with everybody, with the congregation, not just one time a year on sanctity of life Sunday, right? January, but regularly we need to start having them in youth groups at church. We need to start having those hard conversations with our youth um, at a young age. I mean, we need to start having them in middle school because that's when these things start happening. And the middle schoolers need to know that it's okay for them to go to their youth group, for them to go to the church when they start having questions, that that's a safe place for them to go. And that that is where they should go, that, you know, they should go to the church, they should go to their parents. So, you know, and not that they shouldn't go reaching out to the secular world, um, that that they should go looking for answers to to you know, they should go looking to godly things. Right. So, I mean, that's really how we, how we have to start solving this in the church is that we just start talking about it and being vocal. And then our churches need to look at ways to start getting involved. So, you know, do you partner with a pregnancy center? Do you partner with a pro-life ministry? Every church in this, you know, in your community, they should be, you know, looking at, Adopting a day on the sidewalk. If you have a local abortion facility in your community, you should be looking at adopting a day on the sidewalk during a 40 Days for Life campaign and your entire church sponsoring that day, going out to the abortion clinic and praying. If you are a minister and you're listening to this, then your butt needs to be on that sidewalk. You need to be leading by example. You need to be going out there and showing your congregation that you're willing to do the hard things. You're willing to do the uncomfortable things. You're willing to go out there. You're willing to pray on the sidewalk. Because if you're not, if you're not willing to go out there and you're not willing to see what is really taking place in this country, if you're not willing to watch a woman walk inside of that abortion clinic and then watch her walk out, and see the transformation that's taken place in her life, then I question your pro-life conviction. If you're not willing to walk that walk, then I, I really do question your conviction as a pro-lifer. It changes you. It changes you to be out there on that sidewalk. And we need pastors, we need religious leaders out there on that sidewalk. And how in the world is your congregation going to take you seriously if you're not willing to do what yourself, what you're telling them to do. And so we need, we need pastors, we need youth leaders, we need people who are willing to lead by example. And that, I mean, just as a leader of a team, as a CEO of an organization, I tell my team all the time, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do anything I haven't done myself. I'm not telling you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And we need pastors to, to do the same thing. And so we need them to partner with pregnancy centers. We need them to, you know, do diaper drives. We need them to raise money. We need them to, you know, tithe to, to pregnancy centers. We, I know that my ministries, we receive, uh, you know, checks from uh, churches occasionally, um, people who are, you know, churches who are willing to, to partner with our ministries. It's important. It's important that churches get involved at that grassroots ground level. Well, and uh, your point about talking about it from the pulpit is so important. Uh, for me, the pastor is, you know, like the father, uh, you know, the, the pastor is 
leading the flock. Uh, I see them as the spiritual father of the church. And, and so, so there's that the church, but let's shift over to having a business, you know, or if you work at a business at a company or something, and we all know that if things are not going well within a company, if people are not productive, if something is bad, if there's something negative going on at your company, a bad culture, I always think, and, and, and I know other people is that, you know, it's because there's a problem in leadership. Mm-hmm. There's a problem in leadership that people will work and be productive if they have a good leader. So when I go over to the church now, I'm thinking, okay, well, the congregation, the health of the congregation, a lot of times has a lot to do with the leader of that church. And so when the leader of the church is speaking about these issues, speaking about abortion and life from the pulpit without apology, with grace and with love, then the people within the church will follow that. They will begin to learn from that pastor. But if the pastor, the leader of the church is silent, then everyone else will be silent. So basically, you know, we're following that pastor. And so it's so important to hear from them. And I, and I do, it's not enough to just donate to the pregnancy center. You have to be speaking about this because there are hurting people in the church who need to hear that there is grace and love at that church to help those families or those individuals. So very important. Another, I think another thing, Abby, that we probably need to be doing and thinking about is, is, is also being involved with policy. Does it mean you have to write policy? But to speak to your state legislators, I mean, I know in Wisconsin right now, the Republicans are reintroducing the born alive abortion bill. You know, we we also have children who are being born alive from abortion. And right now there are no laws that protect those children. They are left to die, left to starve, left to slowly die on their own. These are the things that we need to be talking to our state legislators about and pressuring them and also using our votes and running for office to ensure that these kind of bills are being passed or created and passed within each of our states. Um, So, yes, it's it's we learn at the church, we learn within the family. Um, and and then we start to influence not only our family, but our communities and our policies. Um, and, and that's the kind of impact that we can have. And, you know, I think a lot of the pro-life speak can start with children at a very young age, not necessarily about abortion. But when our children from a t- from toddlers, if we begin to show them fetal development, And just the science behind that. And this is what you look like when you were four weeks and five weeks and whatever it may be, you know, or this is what you look like at the beginning. And they would just giggle just thinking about how they were, you know, a bunch of little cells that were rapidly reproducing, you know. And so when they begin to see that life, then we are preparing the next generation of pro-lifers, people, children who understand that life begins at conception. And so then when they're beginning to hear from the culture, these other messages about abortion, they're able to then say, no, I, I, they can recognize through their own critical thinking skills to say that that's, that doesn't match what I've learned. You know, that procedure that you call an abortion will actually end the life of a child. Um, so that pro-life talk can just begin by sharing with our children science and the book of Genesis, <laughs> you know, just right. the beginning of life. Right. So, well, Abby, thank you so much about to just share with us about your, you know, what you've been doing through Loveline, your different organizations that have been helping so many women and families across this nation. 
as well as bringing people, women and men out of the abortion industry through. And then there were none. And also, Abby, how can people get a hold uh, of the assistance that they can receive from Loveline? Yeah, it's easy. You just go to loveline.com. We have a texting line. You can call us, you can email us, and uh, we can get you in touch with our intake manager. You do not have to be pregnant to receive help. It's for anyone in crisis. So uh, single parents, people who are pregnant, um, you know, if you're in a domestic violence situation, and anyone who needs assistance can reach out to us and we can we can help you. All right. Well, thank you, Abby for being on the show with us today. Of course. Thank you so much. We have reached the end of my interview with Abby Johnson. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends and family. Next week, I'm going to have Abby Johnson back on the podcast to talk about self-managed abortions. I know that the term self-managed abortions almost sounds positive. Uh, like there's nothing to be worried about, but there are studies showing that there are ad- adverse effects, one of, of which obviously is killing the preborn child. Um, it's also something that parents need to be aware of because it's also legal for them to prescribe this medication to your teenager and your teenager will be self-managing their own abortion at home and seeing everything coming out of her body right into the toilet. I mean, I hate to be that graphic, but that is exactly what will happen with a self-managed abortion. And if you mom and dad don't know what is happening, just imagine the trauma and the possible complications that your daughter may go through. Um, Some of the adverse effects that they're talking about as well is some of these girls needing blood transfusions. So this is a very dangerous um, way to Another dangerous way to promote abortion and the Biden administration is trying to get this um, not not only um, prescribed by medical doctors, but also just through a pharmacist or even online. And so we're going to have Abby Johnson to talk more about that and her experience with self-managed abortions. So we'll see you next week. For more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, head over to edify.app and search for the Edify app in the Apple and Google Play stores.